Welcome to Big Tit Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And I'm your uh, host today, Luke Fowler, here with my co-host, uh, Jackie Kettler and Charlie Hunt, who will also be running the boards for us. He is a man of many talents. We're all from the School of Public Service at Boise State, and we're excited to be talking about politics today. And luckily, I don't think we have any sad stories. They're mostly entertaining and, you know, upbeat for what it is in politics. So nothing completely depressing. We'll see. Maybe we'll try and keep it positive. Yeah, we might be positive, which is great. It's a new thing we're doing in 2020. Uh, So what we're going to start off with is uh, a flare of state and local politics, um, something that that is homegrown and and important to all our listeners here. The state legislature is in session, and there's a lot of interesting things happening there. And we have our chief state legislature correspondent, Jackie Kettler, uh, who knows more about this than anybody else I know. So we're going to peck her with lots of questions. So, Jackie, what's going on with the state legislature now? Oh, my gosh, so much. I mean, we're really in the busy time of the session, right? So the Idaho legislature meets about three months, maybe a little bit longer. January's reviewing rules, getting things started to kind of be introduced or discussed. February is where a lot of the bill introduction, bill discussion happens. And then in March, you're looking, you know, bills have then left the one chamber and have gone to the other chamber. The right now is really busy where we're seeing a lot of policy work happening in um, the committees and starting to move to floor votes as well. And so we've just had all kinds of activity across the board in different policy areas. We've had lots of education things happening. Um, We had some interesting continued differences from the House and the Senate, where we've seen the House um, Education Committee not uh, approve some of the education standards, um, science, uh, one of the English standards. The Senate approved all the standards. (laughs) So we're going to have some interesting differences there down the road on some of the standard side. Um, We saw today JFAC actually um, increase the budget for higher education, or yeah, today, um, compared to what was in Governor Little's proposal. So, does it seem like a lot of the a lot of the sort of main fights are maybe going to be between the House and the Senate as opposed to between the Democrats and the Republicans, or is or is it all going to kind of be happening all at once? Well, I mean, the Idaho legislature's got a super majority of Republicans, right? And so a lot of the debates, I mean, the Democrats are struggle to be the main kind of roadblock, right, for policy. And so in the last, especially last session, at the end of the session, we saw those chamber differences really result in some conflicts, some issues were not, some bills were not passed. And of course, we did not approve our rules um, and regulations touching off of all that review this year and last year. So uh, do you foresee anything that we, we think is going to be particularly contentious going into the next couple of weeks? And I think it's probably a good time to remind our listeners that uh, as a citizen legislature, um, our legislature does not meet throughout the entire year. It's only 90 days a year. Uh, and so if they don't get it done by the end of March, essentially early April, like this doesn't get done until next year. So these contentious bills and the things that might stretch out for a couple of days actually end up having kind of big implications for the state, right? Yeah, I think that's a great point, right? We, we spend a lot, if we really dedicate a lot of attention to a couple bills, that means other bills, other issues are not getting addressed. Um, one thing that's come up is Speaker Bedke has a proposal. It's a resolution to keep cap the number of of districts at 30 at 35 um, for Idaho and this is looking towards because we have redistricting next year and so one thing that needs to happen is um, these types of measures need to get passed by the legislature this year to go to the citizens for a vote uh, the 
this fall. Now, why why did uh, why was that move made by Speaker Becky? Why what's the, sort of the the argument for capping the number of districts, and and what do, what does sort of he feel like that's accomplishing? Like, what problem is that solving? Yeah, it's it's really interesting thinking about um, when we think about um, redistricting the number of districts. Of course, that's what we're kind of working with. It's currently stated thirty two to thirty five, and uh, apparently some really would like to when redistricting go to a, the lower number, be it like 32 or 33, they think that would make it easier to um, draw districts in a way that um, are, is not just not so challenging. Of course, the result is you will probably lose, um, you'll lose some districts as a result, some legislators will lose their jobs, and, and especially concerns about Democrats losing some representation in that. Sure. And I mean, I think, and also, I mean, you would get, right, you know, more citizen, more sort of voters per district. And so you have a little bit of diluting of, of voting power there, right? For sure. Yeah. Then our districts are going to grow. And so each legislator is representing a larger population. And there are already concerns that our districts might be too big as they are. Um, but especially what's been happening in some of our more rural areas, the, the boundaries, like the geographic area of these districts have gotten incredibly large in order to get the population necessary um, for those. So um, the other concern, was if we would go to too few dist- a lower number of districts, then these in the rural areas, these legislators are trying to represent a huge area and a lot. Like in the winter, they may not even be able to travel to all the places in their district. Right. Interesting stuff. So what else can we expect that might be contentious coming forward? Um, well, one thing that's been getting some, again, in the world of education, um, the transgender um athletics bill has been getting a lot of attention um it um that's one thing that the has been a lot of focus on how to kind of regulate um or you know proposals on that issue um we've also seen some less contentious issues in the realm of criminal justice but some things getting um some momentum there on things like um employment history being asked on, um, you know, when you apply for a job or interviewed. Um, There's some things on sentencing, um, some some really interesting criminal justice reform policies that have been working their way through. Yeah. Uh, So that all sounds like interesting stuff. And so um, are most of these bills being originated in the House or the Senate? Or is it just kind of a mixture of the both? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been... We've been getting a lot of bills. I mean, really both. I mean, like, so one thing that we've recently seen some attention in the Senate on some of the hemp, um, trying to, you know, <laughs> deal with the, at the federal level, hemp is legal to farm um, hemp. And so trying to bring state regulations in line with that. So we've seen the Senate have some proposals regarding that. We've seen in the Senate side, um, actually in both chambers, proposals about um, distracted driving uh-huh. um, laws that also are coupled with preemption laws that so the local governments would not be able to have distracted driving laws. Are there any issues that, you know, maybe we were expecting to come up or be a big deal that that haven't that haven't materialized so much or have things generally been sort of playing out the way? sort of we expected following uh, last year's session? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, 
I think we're still looking at maybe some more last session, some of those re um, bills or proposals about um, initiatives and, you know, like adding more restrictions to initiatives for making the ballot. Um, there hasn't been too much discussion about that yet. So we may be looking at some more bills there. Last year, another big thing was adding another member to the redistricting commission. That hasn't come up yet. I expect that that idea will come back at some point, but we haven't got there yet. On the initiative question, do you think more, a lot of the activity on it last year was, you know, due a, largely to the fact that, you know, a major initiative had passed the year before and maybe we don't have that sort of going on this year? Yeah, it's been a really interesting discussion on kind of what was motivating those proposals. And there were definitely a lot of thoughts that because Medicaid expansion passed, that that was one way, kind of a reaction to that. I've also heard that there's concerns about uh, marijuana initiatives coming in the future. And so some concerns about wanting to kind of make that potentially a little more challenging. So do you think uh, with it being the, the 2020 election and all the, say, the excitement that happened in last year's state legislature that we're just going to have kind of a quiet year this year, or at least in what it's been compared to in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think in some ways there are it has been a little bit more quieter on some ends, but at the other end we've still had, especially a lot of social issues. A lot of folks like the um, affirmative action kind of what's been described as affirmative action ban or so. You know, um, in terms you get a lot of those types of proposals that come up a lot. Things like abortion. I think social issues that voter or that legislators know their their voters care about or could turn them out, turn out their base, can be kind of popular. Um, but I. I do think it will be interesting as the session goes on since it is an election year and we will start to get primary challengers potentially emerging um, starting in March on how that may shape what's happening in the legislature. Well, interesting stuff um, and uh, definitely an exciting uh, legislative session. We should see more things coming up in the next couple of weeks and we'll come back and, and revisit these stories as things progresses. But we're going to take a, a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some other state issues, uh, namely states that uh, might split apart. Ooh, teaser. This is Mac DeMarco. You're tuned in to KRBX 89.9 FM, Coldwell, Boise area. We got a triple shot of Halen coming down the tubes for you. Radio Boise is supported in part by Boise Green Bike, providing no charge access to their bikes during the Tree Fort Music Festival. The offer also allows green bikes to be locked anywhere downtown at no extra charge. To learn more, you can visit the Boise Green Bike Facebook page or call 208-345-7433. I am Russell and I can kick. When I'm van camping down by the river on Sunday nights, I'm always listening to bangers and mashups with DJ Winkle on Radio Boise. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio, um, talking state and local politics. And uh, one of the, the big, interesting stories that came out this week that has definitely uh, risen to, to the national news, and I actually saw this from a national news network and not uh, local, was that a group of account, uh, counties in Oregon, a group of leaders in Oregon, um, are trying to push forward a movement for them to break away from Oregon and join the state of Idaho. So they actually want to secede from Oregon. Join the state of Idaho, which is interesting, unprecedented 
for it to actually happen, but not unprecedented for people to talk about these things. Because uh, there's been a plethora of secession movements across the U.S. Um, in the last 150 years, you know, since that Civil War thing that we had that was sort of about this issue. But that doesn't mean just because we fought a war that people are like, don't think this is continually a, a good idea. Um, so this is just the latest articulation about it. And I think, like, it's funny, uh, yesterday at the governor's breakfast, um, the Oregon governor called for breaching the Lower Snake River dams, and Governor Little's response was, well, I'm going to annex part of her state to make up for that, <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> and the proposal, so it's it's parts of Oregon and actually parts of Northern, a few parts of Northern California as well, and uh, they want to essentially join Idaho and then call the new state Greater Idaho. Which you, I mean, what we'd heard from Northern California for a long time was the state of Jefferson, right? That right. was the long-term kind of proposal that they were kept uh, kind of having around. So now I guess Idaho's looking more attractive. Well, and the idea behind that was sort of like rural areas, right, of uh, Northern California and, and sort of Southern Oregon. and Western Oregon, uh, who, and, and, you know, in my, in my brief research in this area, I've sort of seen like there, there's a lot of, a lot of this tends to be from parts of, usually rural parts of states who feel like power is really consolidated in the state capitals or in the urban areas, right? And so that that's where you get a lot of these kinds of uh, kinds of movements coming from. Well, I think uh, that's absolutely right. I think the other part of that is when the rural areas are largely conservative and the urban areas are very liberal. Um, and so when you have that divide, I mean, sort of like what Boise is to the state of Idaho, but even worse when you consider compare Portland to the rest of Oregon, namely Eastern Oregon. The other, one of the other places that we see this is in Colorado and Wyoming, but namely that, that divide between Denver and then the ranching rural parts of Colorado, that's a huge point of t- contention. I mean, again, uh, we like to think of California as one of the most like liberal, progressive, democratically controlled places, but Northern California is extremely rural. Um, there's a lot of very conservative people that live there, and so it makes a lot of sense that they're not happy about the things that go on in Sa- uh, Sacramento um, and some of those balances. So I think it's it's partially about that rural-urban divide, but it's really when that rural-urban divide is, um, cond- is also an ideological divide that's going on, um, and so that's where we're seeing a lot of these modern movements come, uh, come around, unless and late at least in the last decade or so. I agree, uh, though it doesn't necessarily have to be ideological. So growing up in Kansas, there was a, a Western secession, uh, Western Kansas secession movement in the early 90s, and it really connected to not enough school funding coming to the area. They thought that they didn't have enough support from the state. And so they, they I mean, sometimes we see as well it's connected to resource provisions, not just ideology. Well, I think at any time uh, there's a certain geographic part of a state that feels like they're being, we'll say, discriminated against. They're getting kind of the short end of the stick, that they're being dominated by what is, you know, uh, another portion of the state. Um, I think that's where a lot of this tension comes from. And I mean, again, the modern articulation of it is rural versus urban areas. But I mean, it's really gone. And those are a lot of the same kind of underlying things that that were previous to the Civil War, which is one part of the, the, there was a feeling that one part of the country was unfairly dominating another part. Yeah, that's usually the underlying sort of consensus there and I and I think it's worth noting for our listeners that the, we were sort of talking about two separate things here so one is secession which is sort of states staying the same but leaving the United States and the other is is what this uh, this article was talking about with greater Idaho which is states sort of partitioning together one another the former secession is unconstitutional uh, that's you know one of the many reasons we fought the Civil War whereas states, uh, partitioning other parts of other states 
is constitutional, but it require in the Constitution it says it ha- it requires the uh, essentially a vote of people from all states involved. So this would require California, Oregon, and Idaho all voting in favor of uh, Idaho absorbing those parts of of Oregon and California. And it would also require congressional approval after that. So there's a a lot of hurdles to be jumped here. This is not something that uh, this group, and it's funny that the leaders in Oregon are like, well, we're going to get a, uh, we're going to get something on the ballot here in Oregon. And I'm like, you know, like just because you want to leave and your neighbors want to leave, doesn't mean that this is going to happen. There's actually a lot of hurdles that have to to amount here. Yeah. And I think while there have been votes from like counties to like leave, I don't think that there is ever been a successful vote in recent history <laughs> no not in recent history there 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 is precedent uh long long ago so you know maine uh early on used to actually be part of massachusetts and then they became their own state uh in 1820 uh my my favorite uh failed uh recent example is from my home state of rhode island there's a, a town called new shoreham also called block island which is its own little island but its own little town and they voted to uh, secede from Rhode Island in 1984 because uh, they didn't want mopeds on their island, but the Rhode Island State Legislature made it so they uh, had to, th- th- so that they could allow mopeds. Uh, so it was and, a reaction to preemption. And Rhode Island and the state, uh, you know, uh, essentially gave into their demands, and they did not end up seceding, thankfully. Well, so uh, similarly, there's a. Uh, there's a situation with Key West, Florida, where in the 80s, the mayor basically said, we're leaving the U.S. They blockaded the bridge. Um, and it was just kind of a big show and nothing was actually official. But as soon as he uh, then he could declare, I believe the story goes, he declared war on the U.S., immediately uh, surrendered and then asked for a ton of foreign aid. And so this was just a big show to highlight some local political tensions. And he got some media coverage and then it kind of went away. Yeah, I think a lot of times the intention is to get attention, right? Yeah. Like in Colorado, a uh, they, those efforts sometimes in the in the eastern Colorado have been to try to convey to the rest of the state either not enough resources or their unhappiness with the direction of the state. It's much more to get attention rather than necessarily wanting to secede, though some of these efforts in Northern California, Oregon, have been around for a while. Well, and I think it's also worth mentioning, there's a fairly active movement to split California into several states. Um, and there's uh, a, a couple of Silicon uh, Valley, very wealthy people that have backed this. And the proposals range from two states to six states, I've seen, that there's lots of different proposals floating out there. But those are pretty active to, to try to partition state California into several different states. I mean, you do think, like, what, California, if you think nat- globally, is the eighth largest economy, like, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is interesting to think of that being one state within the United States. And I think that's a, a part of their, their argument, right, is that all the political and economic diversity that goes on there, that they can't really effectively manage it. So we need to partition it out, right? And so this is, uh, I think, a lot less about attention and actually about finding an administrative efficiency there, a political efficiency there. Um, but it's interesting because that one has been organized for very different principles than mm-hmm. a lot of these other movements have. Well, and this, by the way, in terms of Idaho, you know, this, this proposal for greater Idaho is not is not the first to to crop up uh i i think a few decades ago there was a movement to merge northern idaho with parts of eastern washington to create a new state called lincoln uh and i think i feel like that also you know my limited time here i've been able to suss out that uh 
northern Idaho is very different from a lot of the other parts of the state. And so there is probably also that feeling, both the urban-rural divide and the, the idea that we're such a large state that you have you know, very different cultures in different parts of the state that maybe want their own kind of political representation. Which I think like speaks to this case for all these states, right? We yeah. often think about blue or red states, but there's a lot of diversity within. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of that diversity and some of the things that go on at the national level, that was a great segue. I'm <laughs> so good. I'm Perfect. so good at radio now. Uh, we are going to come back in our final segment uh, and talk about some of the things that are going on in the Democratic primaries and some of the uh, nat- the race to the presidency in 2020. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. This is 89.9 FM, community radio for Boise and beyond, because what you listen to matters. All right, we're back on Big Tent Radio on Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. And uh, to wrap up the show today, we're going to talk about, uh, well, the Democratic primaries and the race to the presidency in 2020. Um, Lots of exciting things going on. We actually had a debate this week, and we are in the heat of battle. We've gone from 3,000 candidates, it seemed like, three Mm -hmm. months ago to what is collectively five or six serious candidates in the race now. Um, So it's a little bit more interesting to to dig into what's going to happen in here. And luckily, we have our uh, resident expert in presidential races and elections, Charlie Hunt over here. Charlie, what's going on at this point? Well, uh, you said you you mentioned the heat of battle, and I think that's an appropriate uh, phrase to use to describe the debate that happened last night. Um, first, it's worth noting that uh, I, I saw this morning that this was the most watched Democratic debate, not just of this uh, primary season, but of the last two or three. This was a much more higher profile debate than has been happening since basically last summer. And part of that is because we're, you know, we're in the primaries now and we have uh, you know, we have uh, Nevada coming up this weekend, then South Carolina, and then Super Tuesday, where 20-something states all vote at the same time. So things are, as the kids say, getting real. Uh, and so you have a lot of um, uh, so you have a lot of attention being paid to these candidates right now. But uh, you know, I say the heat of battle because things got really heated between a few different candidates. Uh, Speaking back just real quick on why more people are, are tuning in, it's also easier when it's fewer candidates to really get at each candidate and what they stand for, right? And so I think that there's also, it's just like, oh, okay, well, now things are like, are they're narrowing. These are my real choices. And so now instead of trying to pay attention to 12 or whatever exactly i mean last year we i mean the the first few debates there were they had to separate them into two separate debates of like 10 people apiece and you know you had a couple of front runners but a whole bunch of other names up there now we really are as luke said down to to five or six and those five or six are uh joe biden amy klobuchar elizabeth warren bernie sanders pete Buttigieg, uh michael bloomberg and who the heck am i forgetting uh, maybe I'm not forgetting anyone, but yeah. no, I think we could say five or six because Michael Bloomberg is he in it? Is he not? Uh... Well, that's a good question since he was the frequent target of many, many attacks last night. Uh, it was uh, watching Elizabeth Warren just sort of tear into him on a number of different issues. Um, is Which seem to have people seem to have liked. <laughs> like yeah. there seems to be positive reactions to it. Well, I think uh, it's funny with Warren because she had this sort of uh, boomlet last year where she was sort of a co-front runner with Joe Biden for a while, and then she kind of faded into the background. But she does have a very devoted following, and she's running a very good sort of ground campaign. And so she's still in this race. And I think part of it was, you know, she's really looking for a comeback. And I think Bloomberg was a good foil for her since, you know, her and Sanders to some extent were have been 
talking about, you know, economic issues and being, you know, fairly uh, anti-billionaire at certain at certain points. And so Bloomberg was kind of an easy target for her. And, you know, frankly, I think in an objective sense, Bloomberg did not seem very prepared for this debate. Uh, He really uh, did not perform very well. And, you know, part of that is probably because this was his first one. I mean, he got into this race very late and uh, has been, you know, carpeting the airwaves with ads because he can spend as much money as he wants. But now he actually has to face other candidates, face voters, and it didn't go so well for him, I don't think. And these other candidates have been facing each other for a while. Right. So they've kind of got a, almost a rhythm in some ways. They know they there's long simmering disagreements or things, and he's trying to suddenly jump into this. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, he part of it is, you know, he hasn't had to face scrutiny about his past record. So his, you know, part of what uh, some candidates went after him for were his uh, policies as mayor of New York City, particularly the stop and frisk program, which uh, has been sort of widely derided since it was abandoned a few years ago um, as, you know, in, in, in many ways, sort of a, a race based or racist policy. Um, and then also in terms of some past sort of personal comments he's made, uh, particularly about women in the past uh, that you know, uh, comparisons were made between, you know, him and Donald Trump in this kind of regard. And that's, you know, not necessarily a great look for the Democratic nominee. And so now that he's really in this race and actually getting a fair amount of polling support, um, you know, basically all of the candidate, other candidates on stage sort of dumped the opposition research file on him last night. And, you know, uh, we'll see if he can survive. But then again, he is the only candidate with a with an uh, uh, campaign office in Idaho, I believe. So, well, and I think uh, the most of the media is pretty much in agreement that Bloomberg lost last night's debate. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody that stands out as a particular winner to you, Charlie? Well, I mean, I, I think I think as Jackie mentioned, you know, uh, certainly people who are predisposed to like Elizabeth Warren, I think, really liked how she came out swinging last night. Uh, I, I think, you know, seeing it as sort of not necessarily a last ditch effort because, you know, if she stands as good a chance as a lot of other people on that stage. Uh, but I think undoubtedly she had a she had a pretty good night. Uh, you know, Sanders and Biden, uh, I think, sort of held steady about what they need to do. Sanders being the front runner, you know, I, I think there could have been a debate last night where, you know, he's the front runner. You would expect a lot of the other candidates to really go after him, but really they went after Bloomberg instead. Um, and then you had sort of this interesting dynamic between uh, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. Uh, I think probably a long simmering, uh, as you mentioned, kind of uh, <laughs> much more of a debate and more of sort of a, a, you know, personal animosity, I think, at this point between them kind of play out in a in a in a pretty contentious way and and i don't know why i watch these debates because i don't like confrontation but they were really really going at each other yeah i heard it was uh i heard it was interesting a lot of butting of heads um well it seems personal yeah 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 i think uh, you know they they actually sort of fight over a lot of the same types of voters you know fairly moderate uh kind of midwestern voters they're both from the midwest uh, but I do think you have this sort of an, a lot of the other candidates do seem uh, to have a kind of annoyance towards Mayor Pete having sort of achieved this kind of meteoric success. But again, it's such it's still such a crowd, you know, going into Super Tuesday in a couple of weeks, I think we're still going to have most of these candidates in the race. And usually it's only down to two or three at most uh, at, at you know that point in the race. And so 
Um, it's still it's still kind of anybody's game, but it does seem like in ways that haven't played out over the past year that last night's debate actually could have had some serious impact, particularly in Nevada, which is uh, voted. It's already early voting, but uh, they're having their caucus on Saturday, I believe. And that's where the debate was last night. So we're headed in the Nevada and then we have uh, Super Tuesday coming up. Um, what are your expectations moving forward? When's the next time where we're likely to see candidates starting to fall off? So per, possibly after Nevada, but pro, but you know South Carolina is shortly after that uh, next week. So I think, for example, you know Joe Biden, for example, is placing a big bet on South Carolina. He's been ahead there uh, the whole time. He's had a pretty substantial lead with African American voters, and that's a substantial Democratic voting bloc in South Carolina. If he continues to fall flat in Nevada and South Carolina, uh, he doesn't have a ton of money. It's hard to see how he really stays in the race. Um, but I think it's totally possible that all six of these candidates are still in there by Super Tuesday, which is uh, about you know two and a half weeks away. So we're a long way off of it, but what would you give me odds on that we have a contested convention? And by that, I mean that nobody has the majority and they fight it out on the floor. See, I, I, This was an issue in last night's debate, too. I think those are actually two different things. I think it's actually more likely than not at this point that no candidate will get the amount of delegates needed. But for example, if Bernie Sanders gets, say, you know, 80% of the delegates he needs, but doesn't quite get there, uh, but is still fairly well ahead of everyone else, it's hard for me to see how they deny him the nomination. And I think there would sort of be hell to bay with his very dedicated uh, voter base if the Democratic Party were to do that. So I think it's possible you have a candidate who's ahead, but not with the most delegates, but that it's not necessarily a contested convention, just sort of a uh, not a sort of cut and dry one. Especially when you think about Warren, who um, is ideologically, so, you know, somewhat similar. And so, you know, and seems to be a pretty interested in the keeping the Democratic Party strong going into the, the general election. Right. And so what you could see leading up to the convention are candidates who stayed in the race or accumulated delegates. I mean, a bunch of candidates have already, you know, Klobuchar and Buttigieg and, the, and Warren have all accumulated delegates. They can have some sway over those delegates and induce them to go over to Sanders or go over to, well, probably not Bloomberg because no one else <laughs> on the stage seems to like Bloomberg, but, uh, you know, they'll have some sway. And so it's what seems possible is that, first of all, Bernie is in the driver's seat right now. He could definitely win the nomination outright. But uh, even if he doesn't get the amount of delegates needed, um, I think it's still hard to argue that he's not the front runner. Well, interesting stuff. Um, Jam-packed uh, schedule. Lots of things going on with the debate. We have lots coming up in the, the future. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time today, um, but this is going to be a story that we're going to continue to talk about as everything moves forward, and we'll have Charlie ask lots of questions moving forward. Yes, and uh, we want to. We just want to give a shout-out to Stay Tuned right now, right after we leave for uh, uh, Common Land, uh, the new podcast from Radio Boise. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating podcast, and, and we're going to have some the, the show and then some live discussion. Uh, but we, Big Tent Radio, will see you all next week.